Hey friends, Elisa Childers here. We have another episode of Misunderstood Bible Verses for you today. We're going to talk about the book of Proverbs. How should we understand this book? What are some commonly misunderstood Proverbs? We're going to talk about it all on today's podcast. Well, thanks for tuning in today. I, uh, I want to start by giving you some updates on stuff coming up on the podcast and in the ministry in general. Uh, coming up in October on Wednesday nights, in fact, the first four Wednesday nights in October, I am going to get to do a series with some high schoolers and middle schoolers. And we're going to be talking about apologetics. We're going to be talking about cultural issues. We're going to kind of dive deep into some of that stuff. And honestly, that is one of my favorite things that I get to do is interact with with young people and to challenge them, to give reasons for what they believe, to teach them uh, awesome evidence for what they believe. And just watching their faith come alive is super uh, exciting for me. I love to do that. So if you're in the Franklin area or uh, you know Nashville Franklin area and you are a high schooler or you know someone who has a high schooler, encourage them to come on out to Conduit Church in Franklin uh, for the first four Wednesday nights of October. It's going to be so much fun. And also coming up, I'm going to be talking to Frank Turek over at Cross Examined on his podcast about progressive Christianity. So be looking for that. I'll post that on social media when that's available. And if you're not already following Frank's podcast, it's uh, it's really excellent. It's crossexamined.org uh, is his website, and you can find links to the podcast and great blog over there uh, as well. And the final thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, I've mentioned that I'm researching for a book that I believe God has called me to write about progressive Christianity. And so please be praying for me. Uh, Some doors have opened this week. I've been having some conversations with some people, and it looks like this may be a reality. And so I would just ask you for prayer uh, that if this is something that God wants to happen, that He will make it happen in the way it's supposed to, and that um, it will be exactly what it's supposed to be. And uh, so, yeah, pretty exciting stuff coming up. So that's about all I have to update you on. And let's go ahead and just get right into today's conversation. Well, I'm here once again with Clark Bates to talk about the Bible verses that have been abused, misused, and misunderstood. And today we're going to focus in on the book of Proverbs. How do we understand Proverbs? How are we supposed to read it? But before we get into Proverbs specifically, kind of in these episodes, we've always given a lot of advice, or mostly Clark has given a lot of advice on (laughs) how to read the Bible, how to properly understand what you're reading. And we've talked about hermeneutics and things like that. But I was kind of thinking that it would be good if we would come up with a really simple way to help people remember some just basic principles. So we we've kind of went back and forth on email a little bit and came up with an acronym. And the acronym is HALT. So H-A-L-T. So before you read and interpret and apply any specific Bible passage, you want to halt and then remember these principles. So Clark, why don't you tell us yeah. what the, the letters in the acronym stand for that, that we can just All use right. to remember as we read through really any book of the Bible? 
right. Yeah, and I hopefully people don't judge us too harshly because we're we're not Hank Hanegraaff. It takes us a little longer to come up with things like this. But yeah, uh, I was. I mean, Clark. Uh, seriously, like when I was trying to find an acronym, it was coming out like HAG and like LA. It's like yeah, you got to get something better. I tried better. stop, but it wouldn't work. I so. tried stop too. I know. I couldn't. I couldn't find the words. It was just too forced. But halt works. So what's halt? Halt. So yeah, what just to give people a, a, something to mull over and a quick way to remember what we're talking about um, and, and to give you the, re, the, the thought to stop or to, to pause for a minute before you go further, uh, we want you to halt. And basically what that means is H is uh, take a moment and learn what the historical context is. The H is historical context of the passage you're reading. Is it important to know, you know, what was going on at the time in this particular verse? It may not be, but you, it's important to find that out. Uh, the A would be uh, the audience or the author. So both who's writing it and who are they writing to? Is it going to be important to know if this is written to Jews? Is it going to be important to know if it's written by Paul? Uh, and who is Paul writing to? Maybe his particular letter is for a specific reason. So those kind of things. So you, you check the historical context. Ask yourself who's writing it. Who's the author? Who's the audience? Um, and then the L is the, the literary genre. So just what type of book are you reading? Um, are you reading poetry? Are you reading um, a narrative like the book of Genesis or the book of Exodus? Um, are you reading a letter? So, you know, different styles of writing are going to employ different techniques, especially when it comes to poetry. So take a moment and think about that before taking another step. And then the T, the one I think that we had the most trouble with, the T <laughs> is your textual parallels. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is this discussed anywhere else in the Bible? Uh, a good example is the Gospels. We have four Gospels, the three that we call the synoptics, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all sharing relatively the same story in the same time frame of Jesus's life. So oftentimes you're going to find the same stories told in three different ways. Uh, John will do that too with uh, with a few of them. But the point being, is it discussed in the other Gospels? And if it is, how do they discuss it? And so what that can do is help inform you of maybe how Jesus was talking about a particular passage before you just go uh, straight from where you're at. And I will say that doesn't always mean that the way it's discussed in, say, Luke is the way Mark meant it, but it does help you understand the greater context of what the story's about. So before you interpret a passage, before you uh, decide to start applying this in some way, I would recommend that you halt. Check the history, ask questions about the audience and the author. What type of literary genre are you reading? And is it written about anywhere else? Is there any textual parallel that you can look at? That's great. And I'm so glad you Clark came up with the T because I could not <laughs> think of a T. And I'm so glad that you you came up with textual parallels because I think it would also apply like if you're if you're reading a difficult passage even just on a particular subject, you know, maybe there's not a parallel story, you know, maybe it's not like a, a biographical kind of situation, mm -hmm. but it's just talking about a particular issue. You want to, you want to interpret scripture in light of other scripture. So you want to look at where else in scripture it, it talks about that particular subject as well and kind of um, figure out what the Bible as a whole has to say about that particular subject. Would you say that applies as well for that T there? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I, 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 the Gospels are a good example, but yeah, you, if you have 
uh, themes. There are often a lot of themes and uh, of topics that you can cross with, whether it be dealing with, you know, on top of my head, dealing with sexual immorality or dealing yeah. with, uh, you know, very controversial, but dealing with the role of women in the church or mm-hmm. the role of men in the church or, um, you know, different things. We always talk about whether you should eat certain foods. You know, these things are discussed in various places. So it's a good idea rather than uh, just going off of one passage, perhaps maybe taking a look at where it's talked about elsewhere, both in the New Testament and the Old, if possible, Um, and just getting all of that information to help you come to a better understanding. And that's all before you even start interpreting. This is, this is just trying to understand what it's saying. So just repetition's good. So I'll just say it again. Halt, historical context, author and audience, literary genre, and textual parallels. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be remembering that too, because I think that's, that's pretty helpful. Um, so let's get into Proverbs a little bit. Uh, I want to set this up with a little story. Uh, so recently I was at a friend's house and I had to use the bathroom. And I noticed that Uh, sitting on the back of her toilet was a little basket with some reading materials because, you know, everybody has to have reading materials in the bathroom, right? (laughs) That's why they invented cell phones. That's that's right. That is why God invented cell phones. Exactly. (laughs) So um, I, I noticed one of the books in the basket was called God's Promises. And so it was sort of a compilation of Bible verses that contained the promises of God. So I opened it up, flipped through it, And I noticed that many of the promises that were recorded in the book came from Proverbs. And interestingly, as a side note, in the God's Promises books, you never find the verses where Jesus promises that you're going to be persecuted (laughs) and hated, you know, but... We don't want those. Yeah, we don't like those promises. But at any rate, you know, when you think about what an actual promise of God is, that's really a big claim, because if something is an actual promise of God for all people of all time periods... And then it doesn't work or he, you know, and then he doesn't do it or something, then in a way it almost can make people think, well, God is a liar or Mm -hmm. they're just waiting forever for something to happen that's not going to happen. So we're going to talk about some specific Proverbs from the book. But before we do that, Clark, why don't you tell us what is the, the, you know, let's let's look at the the L of the halt and what is the genre of Proverbs? How should we go about reading and understanding it if we want to sure. be faithful to its its intended meaning and be faithful to reading God's word in its right context? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually this is a good, a good chance to use a little bit of that acronym. Um, the book of Proverbs is part of a kind of a greater type of writing that is often called wisdom literature. Uh, we don't we don't really have wisdom literature of this kind anymore, but at the time of the writing of the Proverbs and really the even the first and second century uh, of A.D. of the Jews, there was wisdom literature that existed, and it was ways of learning about life. It was kind of general truths that would get you through life successfully. Um, and non-biblical versions of these type of things exist. Uh, they are books like the Wisdom of Solomon, which was very popular, um, or another book that some people may have read, and it's actually quite popular in, in other circles, the Greek Orthodox Church particularly, I believe, a book called uh, Sirach, which contains wisdom literature. Um, other examples in the Bible would be Ecclesiastes uh, and the book of Proverbs. And what they do is they simply try to tell people and give advice on living life. 
Um, and it's usually short, pithy sayings, something that can contain a lot of information with a few amount of words. And they come from the idea of the, the Hebrew word mashal, which means likeness or saying that this is like this. Something is comparable to something else. Uh, so a really great example in, in our culture, in America especially, but you know, in Western culture, is everybody's favorite guy, Forrest Gump. Who said life is like a box of chocolates? Right. You never know what you're gonna get. That is a proverb. He said he's saying, and that is in the exact idea of the mashal. Life is like this, meaning you never know what you're gonna get. Hmm. So you know, generally speaking, what he's saying is life is full of surprises, and this is a truth. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we we don't always know what we're going to get. So in the books, uh, in the book of Proverbs and in wisdom literature, what you have is these kind of sayings that they can use easily to remember, and they can guide them through life. Most people believe, the Jews believe the majority of them were written by Solomon, uh, King Solomon, David's son. But in the book of Proverbs, you have some that are attributed to a man named Agur and a man named Lemuel, people we don't know anything about outside of those two Proverbs. And then others are believed to be inserted by King Hezekiah or his men. So we have Proverbs from various places, um, but mostly attributed to the kings of Israel. And, you know, when we're reading Proverbs as these guiding principles, these really aren't promises of God, are they? No, and yeah, I think that's, and it's good that we we use these terms properly, because they're definitely not in themselves promises of God. You may find a proverb that says something that elsewhere in scripture you find as a promise from God. Hmm. However, every proverb is not that. Proverbs by definition are simply general sayings of generality. They're Mm -hmm. proverbial. Uh, They don't apply in every specific case. This is simply saying most of the time this is true. Um, So we, we shouldn't be looking at this as something that God is saying, you do this and I promise that you will get this from me. There's nothing in the Proverbs that are trying to say that. What they're trying to say is, generally speaking, if you live your life this way, these these results will follow. It's kind of like the the modern saying you've you know we've all heard an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Yeah, and exactly. you know of course if we took that as a literal promise, it's it's not always going to be true. I mean, someone can eat an apple every single day and still have to go to the doctor, <laughs> right? But the general guiding principle is that if you eat healthy food, you know you're probably not going to get sick a lot, and apples are healthy right. food. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of, I think that blows a lot of, I, it was kind of, I remember when I first learned that and it, it wasn't mind blowing in a bad way to me. I was actually mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, I remember reading some Proverbs that I wouldn't want to be promises, you know, <laughs> no. things like if you do this bad thing, then this horrible disaster will come upon you. And like, mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad that's not a promise. Um, <laughs> but there's one proverb that, uh, is very popular for Christians to interpret as a promise, and it and it gets a little bit kind of twisty. It's uh, Proverbs twenty two six, which says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Yeah. And many a parent have taken this as a promise that if they teach their kids the Bible, if they train them up with the gospel, teach them to follow Jesus, that when their child grows up they will absolutely end up following Jesus no matter what. And a lot mm-hmm. of parents uh, that I know have really, 
you know, put their faith in that. So help us with that verse. How, how should we yeah. understand that verse as parents? Yeah. And, um, you know, for those that don't know, uh, I am a parent. I have five children. Uh, and Elisa, obviously, most of you probably know that she has children of her own as well. Mm-hmm. So we were both coming at this from a parental perspective as well as anything else. Um, so this is a verse that is important as much to us as it might be to anyone listening yeah. that's a parent. And it is a lot of, I, as my, when my time in ministry was going on, uh, I dealt with this quite a bit as well. Parents uh, feel that something has gone wrong mm-hmm. because they raised their child in church, they brought them to church, went to Sunday school all the time, and now, the, now their, their son or daughter is at college uh, or maybe fully grown, and they have nothing to do with the faith. They you know, don't have any interest. They've walked away. And so and that's devastating. It's devastating for a parent um, to deal with a lot of questions about you know, what went wrong, go on. And so if we look at it from the proverb, we need to start with what we've already said, that proverbs are not promises, mm. not on their own. Uh, so we want to keep that in mind. Proverbs are not promises. They are general truths. So remember, this is a general saying. And what does that mean? Well, generally speaking, when a child is raised a certain way, they tend to keep that outlook when they get older. Okay. Mm. Uh, this is, and this is also, there's a lot of factors that play into that. How were they raised? What were their parents doing? But what we see in life is that most people reflect their parents quite well as adults. Um, this is the case for me uh, and the case for a lot of people uh, that I know that they act like their parents did when they're grown up. And it's because they learn from their, their parents how to live. Now, if we take that to the worldview of the Proverbs, we take that to the worldview of Israel, there is a spiritual element. Of course, the Proverbs are full of spiritual discussions about fearing the Lord, uh, about being righteous, about doing good. Uh, we have to remember, of course, this is coming out of Judaism. So they, there is a religious element to this. So when it says train a child in the way he should go, the way he should go is is almost certainly the fear of the Lord. That There is that aspect. So it is recommending that you train a child to fear the Lord to, and probably should clarify what I mean by fear the Lord real quick. Fear the Lord in 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 the Old Testament, fear the Lord in that kind of language means loving respect, not fear as in I'm afraid. Right. Um, and so in our in our language, it's a little different, but it really just means learn to love and respect the Lord and trust the Lord. Those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make sure we're clear on that. But that's that's one element of what it's what it's saying. Uh, so you should train them that way. This is a parent's responsibility that they should train their child to love the Lord. And generally speaking, if it's done properly, if it's done right, that child's going to have that background in their life when they get older. That doesn't mean that's always going to be the case. Children are just like every other human being. They're sinful. They are in need of of a savior. And they have a responsibility to turn their heart to him. Uh, They have a responsibility for repentance and those kind of things. So ultimately, that's still on them. There is no promise that just training a child to of the Lord means that that child is then going to make the personal choice or the personal responsibility to repent and turn to the Savior. Mm. So we're talking about general terms. You should, as a parent, train your child to love the Lord. That is right. That is that is good. That is your role. But there's one other aspect of this verse that doesn't often get talked about, and it, it is actually an interpretational 
um, approach. Not everybody agrees with it, but I actually do find that because the language is a little vague, it's not entirely certain, but I do think it's a, it's appropriate. And when it says train a child in the way they should go, uh, a popular way of interpreting this, especially among in Jewish circles, was train the child in the way that's right for them. Hmm. And what the what I mean by that is, as a parent, you know that if you have, especially if you have more than one ch- one child, but if you have a child, you know that your child is particular. They're unique. Um, every child is unique. None of them are the same, even in the same home. Hmm. And you, so there's no cookie cutter answer to this. It's not a, it's not saying take your child to Sunday school, drop them off. And when they're older, they're going to be a Christian. Right. It's saying as a parent, you have the responsibility to teach your child about God in the way that that child will understand. And it's, so what, what I, what I look at this when I see uh, this verse, and I really, what I really take home from this is not a promise about what's going to happen to my children, but more guidance for me as a parent that I need to be aware of my child and each of them, and what they need from me to understand and love the Lord, and how that looks for each of them. And it is my responsibility for as long as I have them to raise them to love the Lord in that way, knowing that if I do that as a good example of God's love, generally speaking, they'll stay there. But I cannot control what choices they make later on as adults. Um, So perhaps it would be better for parents to take a look at it from that perspective rather than if I do this, my child will then be this. Maybe take a look at it and say, okay, I've got a responsibility as a parent to really know my child and to really love them and to share God with them in the way that they are going to understand it. But in the end, a child's ultimately going to be responsible for his own, his or her own eternal state. Um, so we can take control of this in our, in our sphere of influence for them. But Generally, spe- and generally speaking, that will benefit them the rest of their life. But we do not control their eternal uh, eternal state after that. Yeah, and that's one of those ones we kind of want to be a promise. But when yeah. when I was preparing for this episode, I just um, googled God's promises in Proverbs just to see what would come up. And thankfully, a couple <laughs> of articles did come up that explained <laughs> that they weren't they weren't promises. That's but good. Um, but I did see the train up a child a bunch. And so what I, I decided to do was just randomly choose a chapter in Proverbs. And so I landed in chapter 13. And I just wanted to, to give examples of some of those ones that you wouldn't necessarily want to be a promise. <laughs> like uh, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Well, if we take that as a promise, then if you fail to leave an inheritance for your children's children, then you're a bad person. And and like, I'm glad that one's not a promise, but it's a general principle. You want to try and leave an inheritance for your children's children. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, a general, and here's another one. Um, Those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Well, we've all Mm. spoken rashly and I'm glad that's actually not a promise that if I make the mistake of speaking rashly, that my entire life will come to ruin, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And there's and, you just, know, go ahead. just to say, and this is actually a really good point since we brought up that halt at the very beginning, just as a, as a means to bring that back into the conversation for just a minute. Um, when you look at that, that's uh, Proverbs 13, three, I think it is, if they speak mm-hmm. rashly or they don't guard their mouth, something along those lines. Um, we have, just many places, not even not only in just Proverbs, but all throughout Scripture, New Testament, Old, that warn about how you use your tongue. Mm-hmm. 
mm. in how you use your words. Right. Um, even Jesus himself said it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out, because that's the speaking out of the heart. Um, so if we want to use our halt principle and, and highlight the T, you know, if you're not sure about this, you, the one question you should ask is, where else, it seems like it's talking about speech. I'm mm-hmm. talking about how I use my mouth, how I use my tongue. Where else in the Bible do I remember or can I find that is talking about the tongue? And I think that's very helpful to inform us what this is trying to say. And it's a proverbial statement or a general truth that we have clear teaching about elsewhere. So. We're going to come right back to this conversation in just a moment, but I want to take a minute and talk to all of you parents of teenagers. I know there are so many options out there for high schoolers over the summer. There are mission trips and camps and service projects, all kinds of wonderful opportunities to help our kids grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And I just would love to encourage you to check out the Impact 360 Propel Experience. It's a week-long camp-like experience on their brand new beautiful campus in Pine Mountain, Georgia. The people at Impact 360 are focused on helping young people to interact with the secular ideas that they're surrounded with in culture. They're aware of the claims of atheism and progressive Christianity and competing worldviews, and they're passionate about equipping the next generation to live gospel-centered lives, and they do it while having a lot of fun. So I spoke there last year. I'll be there again this year. I really hope you'll register your high schooler for this great experience. It's the early bird pricing right now. So if you go to impact360.org slash propel, you'll get $100 off just because it's the early bird pricing. But if you use my name as a promo code, that's ALISA, all caps, A-L-I-S-A, you'll get an extra $50 off for a total of $150 off. I really hope you'll take advantage of this great opportunity, and I hope to see your high schooler at Propel next year. All right, let's jump right back into our conversation. Okay, next one we're going to talk about is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Why did I, I have the King James here. I don't know. I'm like, all thine heart. I'm, I don't know why I wrote it down in the King James, but I'll read it in the King James just for fun, because I know it's your Everybody favorite. Everybody grew up learning the King James, so <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's And it's your fun. favorite. I'm just kidding. It's not your favorite. <laughs> trust in the Lord with all, well, I'm just going to translate it into Elisa. So trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not and your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So recently, uh, a popular women's, very popular women's speaker uh, wrote this, these words. So here's what she said. She said, in other words, she's talking about this particular verse. She says, in other words, do not rely on reasoning. Reasoning opens the door for much, much deception and brings much confusion. Then she said this, she said, I once asked the Lord why so many people are confused. And he said to me, tell them to stop trying to figure everything out and they will stop being confused. And then she goes on to say, I have found it to be absolutely true. Reasoning and confusion go together. So Clark, I'm going to let you unpack that interpretation, but I just, I feel like I have to say something first (laughs) because this one got me a little heated. Like I got a little heated when I read that. Anytime someone tells you to turn off your brain and stop thinking, you should immediately stop listening to that person (laughs) because it, well, it's just interesting that this speaker wants you to stop reasoning, but she certainly wants you to listen to her and and listen to her reasoning, 
you know, because the statement she made is her reasoning through the verse. And she wants you exactly. to accept that blindly, but don't think about it yourself. <laughs> and she certainly wants you to accept what she's saying as true. Um, so, all right, that was my little sermon. So let's talk, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about that, that interpretation sure. there. Yeah. And I think it's a very good point. I mean, you know, and, and some of you, uh, some people that listen, uh, may be familiar with apologetics and apologists and, and kind of how we approach scripture in the, in the world. And one of the things that we do often highlight is the life of the mind of the mm-hmm. Christian. Um, that's a phrase that, uh, for, uh, reason to believes Ken samples uses a lot. And I agree with him that, you know, as a Christian, part of our worship is the life of the mind, is reasoning, is understanding, is learning. God gave us that ability. Uh, so it would be rather silly to argue that it's more spiritual to not use an ability God gave you for to know him mm-hmm. <laughs> than to do something else. And Jesus himself said that we are to love the Lord with all of our mind. Mm-hmm. With all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, uh, and the mind is the source of reasoning. So, if we are going to follow Jesus, then part of our love for the Lord involves reasoning. Right. So, you know, just uh, for both of us, both Lisa and I, and others that we know, uh, we believe very strongly that you should use your mind, uh, and that it's not a bad thing. It does not; it's not in conflict with faith. Right. And uh, we've talked about that before. Um, but that's a narrative that you hear a lot in a lot of large and popular churches is that faith is somehow in contrast or in contradiction to reason. Right. Um, this isn't what the Bible says. And it may seem and sound very spiritual to think that, but we want to be faithful stewards of God's word. Yeah. And God's word says, use your mind. Yeah. So just to keep that in mind. Now, as we applied that to the, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's interesting because a lot of what's said in that in that statement isn't entirely false. <laughs> it's so much. It's more about where it leads, uh, what direction she takes that. So, this is a hugely popular verse. I love this verse. You know, it's a life verse for a lot of people. Yeah. Um. They they live by it, and you know, it's it's a good one. It's a it's what a proverb is for. It's supposed to give you guidance, and this is a great one. Um. Just to unpack it a little bit, when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't, you know, lean on your own understanding, you know, those two words are very much, very, very similar. They're not the same word, but they're very similar. They just mean using something to support yourself, like you're leaning against something. So it's it's just saying lean with, you know, give all your weight, all of your uh, reliance on God and not on just yourself, not on your own understanding. Mm Um, and then verse six, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge is great, but it really should mean submit yourself to him yeah. in all your ways and he'll make your path straight. Now, this actually gets clarified in the next next verse. Uh, verse seven says, don't be wise in your own estimation. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So the way Proverbs work, and this takes time to get used to seeing, but a lot of your a lot of your Bible translations actually try to structure this in English so you can kind of see that there's parallel statements being made. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them are set up this way. So verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then you get an and, which is actually not usually not in the text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verses, or, or another way of saying it, don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways then he'll make your path straight. Hmm. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil. So they're, they're, they're very quick parallel statements. And so what we've got here is kind of not, I would say it's kind of an either or. You cannot give all of your trust to the Lord and all of your trust to your own understanding. Right. 
one informs the other. So if you're trusting the Lord with all your heart, and we'll just point this out because it's not mentioned in the quote. In the Old Testament, when they refer to the heart, the heart is the center of knowledge in the old, in biblical understanding and Jewish understanding. Right. The heart is not your organ, not the beating heart in your chest. It's where all knowledge of life comes from. Well, and let me ask you this. I'll just let me pop in on this. Sure. And, and isn't it, is it true? I've heard this, and so I'll ask you. But isn't it true, biblically speaking, they didn't have different words for heart and soul and mind, and it, it, it was one word that kind of meant all of your immaterial, yeah. the immaterial part of you, which which is your you're the center of your intellect, your your exactly. thinking. Your, yeah, it's it's more or less. Uh, there's uh, there's several. I think there's several words that encompass it, but they all basically are saying the same thing. They don't differentiate between like we would our yeah. heart and our head, or you know the way we think with our mind and feel with our heart. There's no that's that's not an Eastern thing. Right. Um, right. So for them, when you see heart. In the Old Testament, they're they're not speaking necessarily about your your emotions of love or, you know, the organ itself. It depends on what context it's right, in. Right. But in most cases, they're talking about the, just the center of knowledge, where everything comes from. Yeah. So trust in the Lord with with your reasoning would be another what, another interesting way of putting this <laughs> yeah. in the basis of what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, so it's not saying reasoning is is faulty. You know what it's saying is your allegiance needs to be with the Lord above all else, and that clarifies everything else. That that first part, trust in the Lord with all your heart, that's what makes your path straight. Yeah. That's what makes you turn from evil. 3.8 says it'll bring healing to your body. Now, before we, and before we take that the wrong way, just remember <laughs> that in wisdom literature, that doesn't always take, mean right. everything literally. It, spiritual healing is center and foremost in this. Right. So trusting the Lord, it brings you spiritual healing. It brings refreshment to your inner self, it says. So all these things follow from the first one making God primary. So we don't elevate our reasoning above God's word. We let God's word inform our reasoning. Right. And we can't, and you know, frankly, we can't even understand what the verse means unless we use our reasoning. And and that's why the the whole, the whole statement she made was self-defeating. Yeah. And I think uh, just to, to, so we're not completely coming down on this person entirely. I think maybe what the intent is, is that she, we shouldn't try to understand everything that God is doing. Yeah. And I will point out that that's not a, that's not a bad thing. No, we don't. We won't always understand what God's doing in our lives, and that is part of submitting ourselves to the Lord. But it does not mean what the what that quote seems to suggest that we should stop trying to reason our way through life. Yeah. <laughs> so there are other pro- proverbial sayings uh, in in the Bible. And in fact, there is, there's one, I I can't say this is really a proverb, but I thought it might be good to cover in this episode because it comes from Exodus and people use it like a proverb sure, and, or, and like a promise. In fact, I've seen this quoted quite a bit as a promise. If you are in some kind of a battle or if you're in, in something that's difficult for you, you will inevitably get Exodus 14, 14 quoted. And, And what that says is the Lord will fight for you you need only to be still. And so I've, I've actually known people that took this like a promise. Like if you're in some kind of a battle, stop fighting, don't do anything, just stop, stop what you're doing, be still, and God will fight that battle for you. Um, you don't have to do anything. And so this would be a good one to, to just walk through the halt with, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking that as you said that. <laughs> this might be a good one to use there. Use our, we're going to use up the analogy that we, we, we created. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, so if we if we just start with the age, you know, Exodus, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, um, at least even a little bit, 
the historical context just from the title should pop up in your mind that the book of Exodus is about that. It's about the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the leaving of Israel from Egypt and their wandering in the desert or the beginning of that wandering. So, you know, that right there sets our historical stage. But then we need to ask in chapter 14, you know, what's going on? You know, and this is something we've said before in our discussions. Don't just read a Bible verse. Right. You know, read the verses around the Bible verse, because hardly anything, with the exception of maybe Proverbs, uh, in the Bible is single verses. Mm-hmm. They're usually a lo- longer sections of thought uh, that require more unpacking. You need to understand what's going on. And of course, in Exodus 14, this is that moment where Moses is trying to convince Israel <laughs> to come with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been commissioned by God. Uh and he is trying to convince the Jews, the Jewish leaders, that God sent him, and this is their time for freedom. And ultimately, the Israelites don't want to go. They, you know, as, as bad as it is in Egypt, they don't know Moses, and they're not sure to trust him. And, you know, this would maybe be an entire topic for another time. But if you're really careful with the book of Exodus, something else you realize is they don't even know God. Hmm. They have they have not, this, this entire book, if you look at Exodus from another perspective, is God introducing himself to his people again. And they're, so they don't know who to trust exactly. <laughs> mm. uh, and they, they know Egypt, so they want to stay. And so he, I mean, in verse 12, it's, uh, you know, we, we read that they say, leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians, because it's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So, I mean, they're being, but this, it's not like the Egyptians were treating them well. You know, they're they're being mistreated all the time, but they, they're they more fearful of what they don't know than what they do know. And so, of course, Moses rightly says, don't fear, you know, stand firm uh, and says, see the salvation the Lord's going to provide for you today. You know, he's trying to encourage them. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. You know, it's quite a promise. Yeah. And that's when verse 14 comes in. The Lord will fight for you and you can be still. Now, that the promise he's giving them is that it, he's not asking them to rise up against the Egyptians. We're not taking up arms. He's saying the Lord's going to do all of this, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to see it. This is how this is how God, this is how Yahweh introduces Himself to His people again. Is what we see in the next verses with the Egyptians. So when we when we look at that, it, it's one of those powerful passages. I think it's a it's a it's got some very important truths in it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to say these are promises. They were a promise to the Israelite people in that day. And we see that played out in the rest of the book of Exodus. But one of the truths we see is that when it comes to uh, defending ourselves, not so much physically, but spiritually and as a world, that the Lord does that. The Lord is sovereign. He will fight for you. Um, we see this promise in Jesus that he's our advocate, yeah. that he, he stands between us and the Father. He stands between Satan and the Father to, as the mediator on our behalf. He fights for us. So we don't we don't need to justify ourselves. Yeah. If we were to take this in a, in a slightly spiritual direction, we don't need to justify ourselves. Uh, the Lord will do that. Yeah. And this that's really where that goes. I mean, I, I and it'd be I'd be curious to see what someone is trying to apply this to. If we're trying to take this and say, well, I don't need to worry about my work situation because the Lord's going to fight for me. Right. Um. It really depends on what you mean by that. You know, did you put yourself in a position at work that's causing you trouble? Right. And are <laughs> you, you know? doing everything you can to do the right things and, you know, take take actions that need to be taken? And maybe that means confronting something or, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's 
that that's what that's what always kind of bugs me when I see this first. And I have actually posted this on social media before, but I posted the context as well because it's really powerful in its in its actual context. Because you know, you the scene where this happens is right on the you know when when the Israelites had uh, come to the Red Sea. This is right before the Red Sea is split when mm-hmm. you've got Pharaoh's army coming after them, and you know, it, it's it's a really powerful um, scene that we see here in Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think some, it, it's, I like how you said kind of a spiritual application. And again, remembering that interpretation is different than application. Sure. Um, but applying this in a spiritual sense is, you know, not needing to defend yourself or this or that. But but yeah, but sometimes there are active things that we need to do that, you know, yeah. the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, the weapons of our warfare are mighty for pulling down strongholds and take, you know, taking captive every thought uh, to, I'm totally butchering this verse, but <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? We, we get it. Yeah. You know, it has to do with speaking truth. And even um, when in Ephesians, when it talks about the sword of the spirit being the word of God, you know, there's, there's active things we're supposed to be doing sometimes. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think this verse gets taken like, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here yeah. and, you know, and I don't think that's, that's probably a, a good application. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's very important. You know, there's a joke, it's kind of a, it, well, it's, it's a joke, but in some ways there's a lot of truth to it. And you see it sometimes on social media and the things like that, um, where we say, you know, we, a lot of people say, what would Jesus do, you know, in the right. situation? And there's a tagline that says, well, if we're, all, if we're both being honest, Jesus probably wouldn't have got himself into this position. <laughs> right. um, you know, and so we sometimes have to think about our own personal responsibility in life, um, too. You know, the, these kind of catchy promises that mm-hmm. you might see on a poster or a card can, can never be used in a vacuum. Um, right. We have – there's all sorts of things that play into this. That's why we have to be very careful about how we're – throwing promises around. And I use that, I would use that word. Can't see the air quotes that I did, yeah, but yeah. I use that word with <laughs> I air quotes. I saw them actually in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we want to be very cautious about what we're doing with this. What did, you know, is there a part that we're playing in the position that we're in and in other situations, you know, do we need, are we in a position where we need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and ask forgiveness before anything else? Is that the conflict that we're dealing with? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what else is going on? So, you know, and that's kind of, maybe that's my pastoral counseling hat coming back on. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things where if we're rightly dividing the word of truth, I, I'm, I will always, always uh, say from the mountaintop, be, we need to be cautious with how we use scripture yeah. so that we're using God's word rightly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm always hesitant to simply throw a verse out there as uh, kind of a talisman yeah. against something that's going on. Yeah. And maybe a good application even, you know, if somebody is in some kind of a heavy spiritual battle, you know, direct them to Exodus 14 and say, look, this is who God is. This is what he mm-hmm. did for his people. This was this was a display of his power and his love and his care for them. This is the same God that you're worshiping and that's caring for you. And even if, you know, that promise he gave them regarding an actual literal battle that was impending with the Egyptians, you know, mm-hmm. it still reveals who he is. And it reveals uh, his care for his people and his love and and I think we, you know, we see his nature and his character revealed all over Scripture, from mm-hmm. Old Testament to New Testament, and and that's something. Um, so that's not to diminish the beauty of the verse or the meaningfulness of the verse or the depth of the verse, but you know, like you said, it's rightly dividing the word of truth to make sure we get it right. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. 
we've got a couple Absolutely. minutes left, and um, you kind of you actually came up with a proverbial <laughs> saying that you found in in uh, First Kings. So tell us about the one that you wanted to talk yeah. about. And then, yeah, we were as we were discussing proverbs that come up in the Bible, and it's that is worth remembering that just uh, all the proverbs in Scripture are not limited to <laughs> the Book of Proverbs. You find them elsewhere. Um, as far as identifying them, uh, that's kind of subjective in some ways. But just keep in mind that you're talking about general truths, uh, usually short, quick sayings, things that you can take with you. So that's some ways to look at it. But in the book of First Kings, uh, in chapter 20, verse 11, we're in the middle of kind of a boasting and, and uh, challenging of two kings. Uh, the king of Syria is going to invade Israel. And they're, the, the two kings through, you know, through emissaries are going back and forth with each other. And it's actually really, I think it's a really funny dialogue if you, if you take the time <laughs> to read it. But the, uh, the, the king of, of Syria is bragging about how he's going to just destroy all of Israel, uh, that that the, his gods will take care of any god that Israel worships, those kind of things. And in verse 11, the king of Israel replies this way. He says, tell the one who puts on his battle gear that he shouldn't boast like the one who's taking it off. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that <laughs> that phrase. And, you know, we would say something similar in our own language. We'd say you shouldn't, you shouldn't brag like you've won the fight before it's even started. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's a great example of a proverb. That's a good one too. Yeah. You know, and it, 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 take it with you. Maybe you should keep that one in mind. But you know, <laughs> it, it's just one of those times where it it pops out in scripture in a completely different place. Uh, in the middle of a narrative of something that's going on, there's a proverb. So we see them elsewhere, and you you know, it's not a promise, but it's a good general truth to keep in mind. Very good. Well, again, uh, as we close out. Before you try to understand, interpret, and apply a particular passage of scripture, halt. Look at the H, historical context. A, author and audience. L, literary genre. Is this history or is it poetry? What, is, what are we looking at? And T, the textual parallels. Where do we find these themes or stories found elsewhere in scripture? And, and look at scripture as a whole rather than picking out individual verses. Well, Clark, thanks for being with me again. And next time we're going to be talking about some, oh my goodness, some really personal life verses next time. (laughs) So pray for us. Um, This may, that may be our last podcast episode ever. I don't know. Depends. (laughs) Banned on YouTube or something. I don't know. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk soon, Clark. All right. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my post by email by going to alisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button or simply subscribe to the Alisa Childers podcast on iTunes.